If you have your Bibles with us, you might like to get that open and ready at Acts chapter 3 this morning. I'm not sure um, who of you, this is your first service back after the new year, but Andrew brought a word to us last week, having sought the Lord about what was on his heart for us as a community of believers meeting here at Vision Christian Fellowship for 2017. And the key scripture that the Lord laid on his heart was Acts 3 verses 4 to 8. And he declared a word over us last Sunday from the Lord that the Lord was releasing a greater measure of courage, confidence and clarity in our midst in 2017. And so I just really, if you weren't here last week, or even if you were, um, it would really be worth accessing that on our podcast. If that's technology that's a little bit foreign to you, we can organise to have a CD burned for you. But as God's people gathering here, it's good for us to ponder what the Lord is saying to us. Um, Obviously, and Andrew said this last week, God is not bound by our calendar year. Um, But there is something about the new year, isn't there, in terms of new beginnings and um, just a sense of fresh uh, revelation from the Lord. And it's good for us as his people to be on the same page. So um, I would just really encourage you to get a copy of that podcast and have a listen to it, um, particularly if you weren't here last week. But this morning I actually want to dip back into this same passage of scripture and to look at another aspect of what I feel this scriptural account reveals to us and how it's pertinent to us in this season ahead. So let's start um, in Acts 3. We're going to start at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A man lame from birth was being carried whom they daily laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate and ask for alms of all those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And Peter saw, and when Peter saw it, He addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? 
I just want to give you a little bit of rundown of what happens after that. I really do encourage you to read the whole passage of Scripture, but just in the interests of time, we won't do that this morning. But seeing the reaction of the people, Peter declares Jesus to these people, these people amazed by this incredible healing of this man who later in the chapter we read has been like this from birth and is 40 years old at least. He then calls them to repentance because he confronts them with the fact that they killed the author of life when they crucified Jesus Christ. And in this moment of holy boldness, then what happens is challenge and persecution comes. And Peter and John are actually arrested and they're held overnight. But we read in um, the beginning of chapter 4 that that encounter, that encounter and that opportunity to declare the word to those people led to 5,000 men coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ just in that one moment. And so the next day, Peter and John are brought before the council. And again, we read that Peter, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter and he declares Jesus again amongst the council. He declares Jesus as the one who is the Messiah. He declares Jesus as the one who has healed this crippled man that everybody's so amazed about. And he declares Jesus as alive, as the resurrected one. And I just want to read, picking up in verse 13 of chapter 4. It's, it says this. So this is about the council. They've sp- Peter has spoken before the council. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, They had nothing to say in opposition. I mean, what could they say at that point? Here's this guy who's been healed of being crippled for 40 years. There was not a lot they could say. But when they had commanded them to leave the the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. This is too big for us to deny. We cannot deny that this has happened. They go on to see if they can encourage at least Peter and John to shut up about it. And then we read in verse 20, Peter says this to them, We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. And here we have, for the man whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. What an amazing account. I think Andrew mentioned last week that this is one of the first recorded specific healings after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We read in Acts 2 that um, the believers were gathered together and that certainly signs and wonders were happening and people were being added to their midst. But this is the first time where a specific record of a healing outside of that context. If you like, I think Andrew used this phrase last week, where the church left the building and this effect that ripples out amongst the people. 
Um, I don't know how you and your family celebrated uh, New Year's Eve, but uh, we um, went as a family with some friends down to the lake um, for the nine o'clock fireworks. I'm not very good at staying up till midnight these days. In fact, I was tucked up in bed long before that. But um, we saw the nine o'clock fireworks, quite spectacular just from the lake. But one of the things that really struck me as we were watching this amazing display in the sky was that along the lakeshore there was also this glow of everybody holding up their phones trying to capture the moment and the perfect shot of the, the um, fireworks exploding in the air. And it made me just reflect, and Andrew and Adam and I were talking about this during the week, that in our modern society, we have this propensity to want to catch the moment, whether that's to post on social media or just because phones are so much phones give us so much more ready access to cameras these days, that actually I wonder whether we miss being present in the moment. Um, are we so busy trying to get the picture of that amazing sunset or the first kiss between the bride and groom that we actually fail to enjoy and be present? in the moment. And this is not a trait that's just noticed, sorry, this is a trait that has been noticed by many social commentators, not certainly not just people with a Christian worldview. And in fact, this notion of being present and in the moment is actually become quite a catchphrase for a very distracted and busy world. All you have to do is put that phrase being present into Google and it brings up thousands of articles about being present, mindfulness, building your resilience through being present and all the amazing power of being present. When I looked up the definition of present, not the kind that we exchanged at Christmas, there are two things that really struck me about this word. The first is that it means being in a particular place and in a particular time right now. So it's a period of time occurring now, here, today, now. And the opposite of it is being absent or in, t in a time sense, past and future are the opposite of present. So being present conveys availability, a being engaged and connected and alert and attentive in the moment. Who knows that is possible to be physically present but actually absent and disengaged in your mind. We've all been there ourselves or possibly also been with people who are there present, but not really. As Christians, being present is much more than simply living in the moment with no regard for future impact. Neither does learning to be present bring for us some incredible spiritual experience, as some of the articles that I looked at when I was Googling, um, separate of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in and of itself not an end point. I am not going to be a more righteous person simply because I watch the fireworks instead of photographing them. However, cultivating a habit of being present, of being tuned in, paying attention to God and to the people in our lives, developing an awareness to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in the moment 
and living our lives engaged and connected is a spiritual discipline. So what are some of the threats to us being present? I've just got three briefly to mention today, but I want you to think for yourself around which of these maybe you relate to the most. So number one threat to being present is busyness. So that idea of being physically present but mentally absent because of busyness is actually one of the things that God has really been challenging me personally about as I begin the year. I've been finding that he keeps highlighting to me situations where because I actually live a fairly full life, I've developed a really poor habit of thinking about the next thing on my list rather than being present now. Maybe that one relates to you. Another threat to being present is the past. We can get caught up in the past. That may be past hurt, failure and pain, but it also might be past success, past mountaintop experiences and a craving for things to be as they were. And then the third threat to being present is the future because we can also become preoccupied with the future. Now, that might be worrying about the future, but it also may be an obsession about what's next, always looking forward and trying to get somewhere. There is a tension for us as Christians looking back and looking forward and remaining present now. It is a good thing to dream with God. It is a good thing to foster hope and expectancy for the future, both individually and as a community of believers. And there is also a place for looking back that may be with a sense of thankfulness and at other times for a season of reflection and healing from past hurts. But this cannot be at the cost of being present now of being attentive now and faithful with what is in front of you now. So in this passage of Acts that we read, Peter and John demonstrate being personally present with the Lord, personally present with people and personally present in the mission. So personally present with the Lord personally present with people and personally present in the mission. And that's what I just want to spend a bit of time now focusing on, those three points as we just unpack this story a bit more and look at what does it look like for us to be people who are personally present. So personally present with the Lord. God is a God of personal presence. Whilst God is omnipotent, meaning that he is everywhere in a general sense, he places high value on being personally present with his people. This is revealed to us right from the beginning of scripture when we are told that whilst God was everywhere, he chose every evening to meet and walk with Adam in the cool of the evening. 
We also, this is revealed to us in the way that the Ark of the Covenant represented God's personal presence with his people, Israel. And also with Moses, that he met with him face to face, that he was personally present with Moses. And in the new covenant, Jesus came as the incarnate one to come as God personally present on the earth and then made the way for the Holy Spirit to come and indwell us as his people to be personally present in our lives. So we as a church place high value on the presence of God. We believe that God wants us to personally experience him and his manifest presence. And we also believe that we are able to recognize his presence. We sang about that this morning. We're able to recognize his presence in our lives when we ourselves are attentive to him. So in other words, the gift of his presence is available to us and in order to receive, we need to be personally present with him. The account of Mary and Martha, a familiar story to many of us, I'm sure, is one such example from scripture that I think highlights this. I'm not going to turn there today, but if you're taking notes and you want to look it up later, the, the account is found in Luke 10 verses 38 to 42. Now, to be honest, this account of these two sisters was actually for many years very discouraging to me. In my own brokenness, I read this passage of scripture that Jesus liked Mary people more than he liked Martha people. And the problem was that I very much identified as being a Martha person, as a doer. And so I would ask him, well, God, how on earth can I sit at your feet all day long? I've got four small children and I've got lots to do. But gradually over time, he spoke to me. He said, Catherine, I relied on Martha being able to whip up a quick meal for me and the disciples when we came in. I actually relied on her ability to serve and to get the job done. That was not the problem. It was that in this moment, Martha had the opportunity to be personally present with Jesus and she missed it because of her busyness, distraction and complaining. Many times since that simple revelation in my life, I have just heard in my inner being him gently whisper to me, Catherine, Catherine, you are worried and troubled and distracted about many things, but only one thing is needed. Does your busyness or worry or distraction cause you to miss an opportunity to be personally present with the one who you need? In Acts 4, we read that the council saw John and Peter's boldness, perceived that they were ordinary men, were astonished and recognised that they had been with Jesus. Being personally present with Jesus changes us. Their boldness is actually directly linked to having been with Jesus in this passage of scripture. I love that it's very clear that their 
ordinariness is still evident. It says they were uneducated, common men. Being personally present with Jesus will always reflect his glory and not ours. So we may always still seem ordinary, but there will be something recognisable in our lives as to being people who are personally present with the Lord in our lives. So do people recognise that you have been with Jesus? This is a challenge to me and a challenge to you. The second thing that I think Peter and John demonstrated in this passage of scripture is being personally present with people. Try saying that fast. Um, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They're presumably going with a purpose and an interruption occurs. If Peter and John were not present in that moment and instead fixed their thoughts on getting to their prayer meeting on time, they would have rushed straight on by. In fact, we are told that this man was laid at the gate every day and this is somewhere they would have passed regularly. So at other points, they had bypassed this man. But in that moment of time, we are told that Peter and John directed their gaze to this needy, disabled man and saw him. This phrase to gaze intently mean it means to so this to fix their eyes means to gaze intently. It means to behold earnestly and it's also a metaphor for actually fixing their mind and attention on something or someone in this case. In that moment Peter and John gave this man their full attention and were personally present with him. They didn't simply give him an unthinking response of, oh, sorry, mate, got no money, or, uh, and keep moving, or put their head down and silently walk past him, hoping that he wouldn't notice. This poor, needy man thought that what he needed was money. He didn't even know or believe that he could ask for healing. And Peter actually needs to ask him to look at them. I imagine that he was giving no eye contact, looking down at the ground, totally used to people just brushing past and walking by, maybe throwing a few coins in his direction, but not engaging him as a person. And then Peter and John come along and they stop and they look and fix their gaze on him and they say, look at us. He thought that he'd been overlooked. He didn't know that he could ask for healing. But the God of heaven saw this man. And with Peter and John willing to be personally present with him, the kingdom was released. The church left the building and he was healed. I don't have any money, said Peter. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. What an opportunity would have been lost if Peter and John had not been personally present and ready to give their full attention to this man. Jesus consistently modelled being personally present with people. Stopping for the one is what Heidi Baker calls it. 
So when we live our lives on autopilot, how many divinely set up encounters with people do we miss? Not only with strangers, but actually with those closest to us. So this year, are you willing to cultivate the habit of being personally present with people? And then the third thing that I just want to touch on today that I feel is revealed in this account of Peter and John is being personally present in the mission. Being personally present with the Lord and indeed being personally present with people will lead to us being personally present in the mission. So when we are present with the Lord, when we're attentive to the needs of people around us, we will be personally present in the mission. Being present in the mission is actually dependent on being present with Jesus as a constant state in our lives. Being present in the mission is being present in the moment to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and personally present and attentive to the needs of people as God sees it. So Peter, at the prompting of the Lord, being alert in the moment, releases healing to this man because this is what the Lord wanted to do. And in this, in this instance, they didn't just give him a word of encouragement, they didn't give him a hot meal or some money. Being personally present in the mission in this instance meant that they were attentive and sensitive to what the Lord actually wanted to do for this man. And then it didn't stop there. I was thinking about this and I was wondering, okay, if, if, if I was in Peter and John's position and this man who'd been crippled for 40 years was healed, I think I would have been so excited and amazed in that moment that I wonder if I would have missed the next divine moment. Because when we look in scripture, Peter is still present. He's still attentive and engaged and listening to what the Lord is doing and present in the mission that he sees what's going on now. Okay, the man's received his healing, but his attention now switches to the reaction of the people. And in the moment, present in the mission, he declares Jesus to these people and 5,000 men. And the way that they counted things in those days means it's more than that. That's just the men they counted. That because the crowd was reacted, he was actually listening to the Lord seeing what was happening for the people and present in the mission. Peter did not get distracted even by good things. I just find that am amazing. And then even when Peter and John get arrested, in the midst of opposition and resistance, they still remain present in the mission. We're told that they actually got thrown into jail overnight. So really, Peter and John could have been pretty much forgiven, I think, for getting a little bit more introspective and a bit more self-focused about, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to us? With martyrdom, a real possibility. They had the whole night under arrest to obsess about it if they really wanted to. 
And yet we read in verse 8 of chapter 4 that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaims Jesus again to these people. Peter is not distracted by the crowds. He's not distracted by the resistance and the persecution or that others have an opinion that's different to his. In this instance, choosing to be personally present allowed him again to be aware of God, what God was wanting to do. This is a real challenge for us, I think, that Peter was able to demonstrate being present even when it was awkward and challenging. Now, for you, what might be awkward and challenging may not be persecution or being arrested. It may be that what's awkward and challenging to you about being present in the mission is that you're somebody who likes to have a plan and an agenda. I doubt that Peter and John, when they were heading to the temple, were thinking, right, well... We'll go to the temple, but on the way, we'll stop and we'll heal the man at the gate. And then I'll preach. Oh, no, are you going to John or am I going to this time? No, I'll preach. I've got the word. And then we'll get arrested and then, we'll, and then I'll not preach again. They didn't have an agenda for that. Being present in the mission was following what God was wanting them to do in the moment. Because when God shows up, it's rarely to our agenda. So being personally present in the mission, I believe, requires us to have greater courage, greater confidence in the Lord and greater clarity. I believe that part of God's exhortation for us this year as a group of believers meeting here at Fishwick, is that as we seek him this year and embrace a year where he is promising to release greater confidence, greater courage and greater clarity, that we are to be fully engaged, to remain personally present, attentive and alert and available that we are to cultivate a habit of being present, to be personally present with Jesus, to be personally present with people, with each other and those in our lives, and to be personally present in the mission. To see the fullness of what God has for us this year, he is calling us as his people to be present and engaged. Amen. Can I ask the worship team to come back up, if that's possible? I would love for you all to stand, if that's okay. It is a challenge for us, I think, as we start this year together. I find it interesting that if God is talking about releasing a greater measure of courage, clarity and confidence, the likelihood is we're going to need it. And so we as his people are to be receptive to that.
to seek the fullness of what he has for us, to be present in the moment with him and with each other. So I just want to pray and then we're actually just going to sing Holy Spirit, you are welcome here again this morning. Just as a declaration that he is welcome, not just in our midst here, but actually personally in our lives. He is the one that we are to be personally present to, just his promptings in our life, his presence in our life. He's the one who helps us to even be present. So Father, I thank you for your promises to us as your people, for your declaration over our life this year, God, that you are releasing a greater measure of courage, confidence and clarity. And that God, you are charging us as your people to be present, to be personally present with you, with each other and in the mission. God, we ask that you would help us, that you would help us to cultivate this habit of being present. God, we give you permission to challenge us where there are things and habits that we have cultivated that fly in the face of that. God, would you change us as your people? We are thirsty to receive the fullness of what it is that you have for us. We just look to you trust you and have confidence in you, God. Amen.